Good morning, good morning, good morning, the Firm Foundation Church family, friends, and guests. As always, it is my honor, my pleasure to be with you this Sunday morning in this virtual worship space. I'm always so grateful to God for how God meets us tangibly wherever it is that we are, whether we're gathering physically or we are gathering virtually. God is present, and for that, I am grateful. I want to send this quick thank you, quick shout out to Pastor Eva. Thank you so much for extending this invitation. As usual, I'm grateful and I don't take it lightly. Um, a quick shout out to my leaders, the Reverend Dr. Damon Williams and the Reverend Dr. Kalia Williams at Providence Missionary Baptist Church in the ATL. I love them dearly. And thank you, I'm thankful for you all, for those who are watching with us. I'm grateful for your presence and for your engagements because there are a lot of other places you can be, a lot of things that you could be doing, but you decided to gather with us in this blessed worship virtual community. And for you, I am grateful. So thank you so much for being with us on this morning. With that being said, as we approach this preaching moment, let us pray. God, gracious God, merciful God, liberating God, we thank you. Before we go another step, God, we just want to say thank you for being God. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you for your kindness and your love, God. And God, we won't go another moment without lifting up to the light of your grace. Everyone that has and is experiencing tragedy in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Lord God, whether it be to natural disasters, whether it be because of war or this coronavirus, God, we lift everyone impacted to you, God. And we ask you to do what only you know how to do, God. Grant grace, grant mercy, grant resources, God. Whatever it is that is needed in the moment, grant comfort, God. We ask you to uplift and to restore everything that may have been taken or destroyed. Because we know, God, that you are the God of restoration. Now, God, as we approach this preaching, preaching moment, as always, we want you to be the preacher. I decrease that you might increase in me. Open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we might hear, and our hearts that we might perceive what it is that you are saying to us, your people, on this morning. We honor God. We honor you, God. We bless you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Our text for today comes from the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 31 through 35. That's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Verses 31 through 35. The New Revised Standard Translation reads this way. Then he returned from the region of Torah and went by the way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private away from the crowd and put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. 
Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. The word of God for the people of God. Friends, I'd like to take for a subject this morning, when things don't make sense. When things don't make sense. Here in the text, we are journeying with Jesus. He, go, he leaves Ture, goes through Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee. Now, we can't just fly by this information because it's important information. This route that the Gospel of Mark indicates that Jesus has taken has puzzled scholars because in an attempt to map it out, one scholar expresses that the route he took to Galilee is out of the way. Another scholar refers to this route as geographical confusion because this particular route doesn't make sense. Typically when one is traveling, I think most of us can agree that the preferable route is the one that is quickest and most direct. I would imagine that if your primary means of transportation is by boat or by foot, that the quickest and most direct route is even that much more important. So why in the world would Jesus take a more inconvenient route that is longer, completely out of the way and requires more time, effort, energy, and resources? It just doesn't make sense. While we do not have the nitty gritty details of why Jesus elected to travel in this manner, what we do know is that Jesus is very strategic in his decisions and doesn't do things haphazardly. While it may not make sense to us, it makes perfect sense to him. But unfortunately for us, our humanity often gets the best of us when we don't have all the details and things don't make logical sense. We tend to want to fill in the blanks and expedite the process by forcing situations to work in a way that feeds our logic, but makes no spiritual sense. Or we go into full on panic mode and become hysterical instead of embracing the detour. We tend to have trouble embracing the detour because we don't view it as divine intervention. If we are to assess the bigger picture, we'd have to take into account that everyone wasn't a fan of Jesus. Everyone didn't believe he was the Messiah. There were people, systems, political and religious leaders of the day that were plotting and planning his demise. Oftentimes, God will allow our lives to take a different direction than we had in mind to circumvent the plans of hostile interests. When God has plans for you, when God has a miracle with your name on it, when you have been marked by the creator, not everybody is happy about it, particularly demonic forces. So to ensure that you get what you need and where you need, God will reroute you around things and people to sit, that seek to disrupt, distract and deter you from what you've been called to do. So the last thing you want to do, my sister, my brother, my sibling in Christ is resist the detour. 
Don't allow the discomfort, the pressure, the burden, and the uncertainty of the moment or this season to cause you to abandon the divine detour of your destiny. A detour doesn't mean failure. A detour doesn't mean you've made a bad decision. A detour doesn't mean you won't make it to your destination. A detour doesn't mean that you ought to give up. The scripture says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So what that tells me is that when it doesn't make sense, that's my time to get excited and be encouraged because this means that my God is at work doing what my God does best. So Jesus takes this detour and eventually gets to his intended destination. As we know, Jesus is not a stranger to this area of the Sea of Galilee. They know who he is and they form crowds. Some are spectators and others are seeking to engage his call as a master healer. This 32nd verse of this seventh chapter of Mark brings to our attention a group of individuals that bring to him a deaf man with a speech impediment. Now the scripture does not indicate who they are or how many they are. We don't know if they are relatives, friends, or concerned strangers. All we know is that they bring him to Jesus. What this ambiguity tells me is that there doesn't have to be a special identifiable relationship to be moved to compassion and to the point of action. Sometimes we can be very exclusive or biased about who we help. We tend to be more comfortable with people we know, with friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, etc. I believe God is calling us to become more in tune with the unction of the spirit that is calling us to particular people, places, and things that may not make logical sense. People, places, and things that we may not be directly connected to currently, but God is beckoning us to them. When we experience a divine burden for a person, group of people, a particular industry, a social justice issue, or a region of the world, or whatever it is, it is our responsibility to bring it to God and determine what is being required of us. Is it a burden of intercession? Do I need to relocate? Do I need to go back to school? Whatever it is, we must give it our attention even though it doesn't make rational sense. Even though we don't know how it's going to work out. Even if the resources don't appear to be there. Even if we can't see the way. We've got to trust God even if we can't trace God. What I find even more interesting about these individuals is how explicit they are about how they believe Jesus should interact with this man. They very specifically pleaded with Jesus to lay his hand upon him. They have already orchestrated in their minds and constructed how this should take place. You know how we do. 
We pray about things and tell God how and when it needs to happen and who it needs to happen through. We abuse and take out of context the scripture in Psalms 37 that says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. We use it as a means for us to satisfy our need to be comfortable and in control of the outcome. We want to dictate the terms and conditions of how God should work things out. It's important that we manage our impulse to interfere with or misjudge the work that God is doing because it doesn't look like what we're accustomed to seeing. You see, by this point, Jesus had performed a number of healing miracles, and these individuals are likely recalling some of these stories in their minds and assume that Jesus is going to use the same methods that they heard about. It is important for us to reconcile within ourselves that God doesn't have to subscribe to any particular way of doing anything. For God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and our ways are not God's ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways and thoughts than our thoughts. God can move however God desires to move in our lives and in the lives of others. Whether it's the wayward child, the wayward parent, sibling, friend, or whomever that might not be living the life you think they ought to live. They may not be getting the help in the way that you think they need to be helped. They may not be coming to Jesus in the way you think they ought to come to Jesus. How that happens is not up to us. We have a responsibility to do what God told us to do, no more and no less then we must step out of the way and let God do what God does. You bring them to Jesus. Tell them about the healing, saving, delivering power of Jesus. Show the love of God and then let God have God's way. If we want to experience the miraculous power of God in our lives and in the lives of those with whom we come into contact with, it is essential that we get our logic out of the way and embrace the irrationality of the divine. When God does God's best work, the reality is it just doesn't make sense. So here we are with these individuals. The crowd and the deaf man standing before Jesus. As Jesus evaluates the situation, he makes the decision to remove the man from the presence of the crowd so that he can engage this man privately. He places his fingers into his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. He sighs and proclaims the words, be opened. Now, there's a lot going on in these two little verses that describe this scene. First and foremost, imagine that you are this man. There is a communication barrier due to his challenges with hearing and speaking. While I'm sure he found ways to communicate, there was no universal sign language. ASL did not exist. So not only is he relying on these individuals to communicate for him, he is relying on them to communicate to him. He's depending on their understanding of who Jesus is and his ability to help him. He's in a very vulnerable position. And I would imagine that being in a crowd that is probably quite chaotic can be extremely disorienting. 
I can't speak for him, but for me, it would be rather terrifying. Not to mention, in this day and time, if you had any type of physical disability, you are an outcast and relegated to the margins of society. It was assumed that you or someone in your family had been cursed by God. So you were not considered a valued and accepted member of the community. So this man had a choice to make. Do I take a chance and trust the people around me or do I go on about my life and remain in the condition that I'm in? There are times in our lives when we can't expect to always have the full understanding of everything all the time, and we must rely on the wisdom and the insight of others to carry us through. There will be times and seasons that we are vulnerable and don't have the strength to carry ourselves to Christ. So we must rely on the voice, the prayers, the resources, and the strength of others. We can't be so prideful and so full of ourselves that we are above receiving help. One thing this pandemic has taught me is how to say ouch when I'm hurt, how to call on a friend when I'm not feeling myself, how to accept and receive the kind gestures of others who just wanna do something nice for me. For those of you who have strong personalities like myself, who insist on blessing others, but won't receive blessings. I know it's hard. I mean, hard, hard. But I've learned that if you give, give, give to everyone else and don't allow your love tank to be filled with the kindness of others, you will find yourself empty, out of gas, and on the side of the road on top of cinder blocks. Allow folks to obey God and be a blessing to you so that you can continue to be fueled to do what it is that God has called you to do. Allow the people of God to pour into you. Allow yourself to be showered with love. Allow yourself to be weak for a season so that the perfect love of God can shine through others. Allow yourself to be refreshed, restored, healed, and uplifted by your village. The African proverb says it takes a village to raise a child, but I would like to offer that it takes a village to sustain an adult. We're taught and conditioned how to give, but not how to receive. This mindset that not receiving from others is a sign of humility is bogus. Declining help is not humility. It's actually often pride. And the scripture says that pride goes before destruction. We often question God, Lord, when am I going to see my breakthrough? When am I going to be able to start my business? When am I going to be able to go to school? When are you going to answer my prayers? And God has orchestrated 30 different situations and 125 different people to help us. But because we thought the blessing had to come through us by our own hands in a very particular way that made logical sense to our brains, we missed valuable opportunities and accused God of not coming through. God always comes through. We just need to get out of our own way. So Jesus puts his fingers in his ears and puts spit on this man's tongue. If that's not unorthodox, I don't know what is. How desperate did he have to be to allow Jesus to put spit on his tongue? 
Could you imagine if your miracle depended on Jesus putting spit on your tongue? What kind of posture and mindset does it take to subject yourself to something that is first just eh, and secondly, a complete and total violation of personal space? How up close and personal are you willing to get to Jesus to get what you need? What posture, what discipline, what practice, how much of our time, how much of who we are, how unorthodox are we willing to get to be in the presence of Jesus? What mindsets are we willing to let go of? What appearances are we willing to give up? What crowds are we willing to be pulled away from? What things are we doing that obviously aren't working? Are we willing to abandon? What is it that we will allow Jesus to shake up, mis mix up, mess up, or uproot? Sometimes miracles are messy. Sometimes miracles require us to get a little dirty. Sometimes miracles make us look a little foolish to others. How foolish are you willing to look to step out into the miraculous? How ridiculous are you willing to be to step out on crazy faith and let Jesus show off a little bit? Ordinary people do ordinary things, but extraordinary people that serve an extraordinary God are willing to take giant leaps of faith to give Jesus the opportunity to make an example of you. An example of miraculous healings, miraculous deliverance, miraculous breakthroughs that just don't make sense. Now, for some people, this word miracle tends to be a little spooky and makes them nervous. I can relate because there was a point in time where for me, I was a little bit spooked out by them as well. And there are others that view miracles as exclusively physical in nature. So in short, there are multiple misunderstandings around what miracles are. There is a definition that I heard many, many years ago that has stuck with me. I don't even remember where I heard it, but it resonated. They define miracle as divine intervention in human affairs divine intervention in human affairs. For whatever reason, that definition was a light bulb moment for me and helped me to embrace the miraculous because it broadened the scope. Here in the text, it says, immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. While the gospels highlight many of the physical miracles of Christ, there's more to the story. It wasn't just about being able to hear and being able to speak. A whole new world was open to him because he is now no longer an outcast. His ability to understand and now be understood is a miracle. His ability to be independent, to care for himself, to go where he wants to go, to provide for himself and to navigate society just like everyone else is a miracle the peace of mind, and the joy of being free as a result of the divine intervention is a miracle. So it's not just about the physical. 
If you need God's intervention in your life, that makes you a candidate for a miracle. If you need peace of mind in the midst of tragedy, you are a candidate for a miracle. If you are in need of a favorable response from some entity that is responsible for a decision that will impact you or your family, you are a candidate for a miracle. If God, if you need God's intervention to help you to forgive, you are a candidate for a miracle. If you lack understanding, if you lack clarity, if you are in despair, if you are estranged from your family, if you are in need of support, if you are feeling alone, if you are unhappy with the way your life turned out, no matter what it is, you are a candidate for a miracle. Is Jesus is waiting for you to be desperate enough to allow him to work in you and through you, no matter how uncomfortable, how untraditional, or how seemingly crazy that looks to you or to other people. You've got to position yourself so that Jesus can intervene. Friends, if you don't get anything else from this message, and I'm sensitive to the fact that there is devastation happening all over the world. We have a lot going on right now. But what I don't want us to lose sight of is that God, in the midst of all that we are encountering, God is still a miracle working God. God desires to intervene in your affairs. God wants to work miracles in and through you even now. Because God does God's best work when it doesn't make sense. God bless you. Let us pray. God, we honor you. We thank you for the word that our ears have heard. Now, God, we ask that you help us in our mind, that we are not subscribed to logic and reason all the time, because we understand now that the divine sometimes just doesn't make sense. And if we want to experience your miracles, God, we have to be open. We have to be open to not being traditional all the time. We have to be open to not being orthodox all the time. We have to be open to not caring what people think about how we look. God, we are posturing ourselves to you. Help us to do whatever is necessary for us to position ourselves, to experience your miracles, that we won't only experience them for us, but we can in turn be a blessing to others. We thank you for this day, this time, and this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.